0: Hi everyone, I'm Hetty Holmes and you're listening to The Dose Podcast, the home of healthy headness in search of balance. For those of you that aren't already aware, Dose is an acronym for happy hormones dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin and endorphins and we're obsessed with seeking out experiences that make us feel good. My personal investigation into happy hormones began, I'm unashamed to say, at Secret Garden Party, where I experienced some of the best highs of my life. Then I found another way of getting high. At a hit studio in London, I'd be running away, lost in the music, and coming up, with a major rush not dissimilar to what I felt on the festival field. I thought, hang on here, I'm having a hedonistic experience on a treadmill. But the best part is I had no comedown. But had I not experimented with these drugs, I might not have ever been able to draw the parallel between the synthetic high and the indigenous one. So to help me explain the science behind what makes us feel good far more eloquently than I is author and scientist Zoe Cormier, who used to run events celebrating scientific discovery at music festivals, believe it or not. Her book Sex, Drugs and Rock and Roll, Science of Hedonism and Hedonism of Science blew my mind, especially the section on drugs that discusses how our relationship with narcotics helped us to identify many of our own most powerful neurotransmitters. So, Zoe, I'd love to talk to you about how drugs work by mimicking our body's natural neurotransmitters. Sure.
1: Uh, it's one of my favorite subjects, in yeah? fact. Uh, if you want to really delve into it, there's a really dense, really nerdy book by a guy named Richard Miller, who is a pharmacologist at Chicago, uh, University of Chicago. And the book is called Drugged. Uh, so that goes like really deep into the chemistry of like all the it's mostly the Germans in fact actually lots of German chemists in the 1900s and the actually the 19th century as well uh, they mapped the structure of lots of drugs decades even centuries before we mapped the structure of our own neurotransmitters uh, so for example the structure of Uh, I believe it is the cannabinoids. Those were mapped, I think, about 50 years before we found the endocannabinoids, which are the chemicals in our own bodies that THC mimics. Mm. Uh, And so this happened again and again and again. So we mapped the structure of morphine decades before we mapped the structure of endorphins, which are the chemicals within our own bodies that morphine mimics. Um, And yes, LSD is one of my favorite examples. It fits into the receptor for serotonin more strongly than serotonin itself does. And this is how all drugs work. They mimic something within your own body, a neurotransmitter. So these are the chemicals that your cells use to talk to each other. And what narcotics do is they mimic those chemicals and they burgle your brain. You can think of them as being like Mm lockpicks. So And that's how they work their molecular magic.
0: That's incredible. It
1: is incredible. It's really neat, actually. It's it's also quite clever when you think about it. And, you know, plants have been manipulating the nervous systems of insects for millions and millions of years. Mm -hmm. So, for example, caffeine, THC, lots of the chemicals that we interact with as narcotics, they actually were designed to repel insects, such as the chemicals in cocaine those alkaloids are intended to taste nasty and bitter to plant to insects that would eat the plant but when we fit it into our own head it does something a little bit different yeah or so as paracelsus put it the dose makes the poison ah, so a awesome. little bit of something kind of bad can
0: make you feel very good indeed. Exactly, and and we talk a lot about hedonism, which I think, as you've explained in your book, has a bit of a bad rep. Even you know, even though it just means delight, pleasure. Mm. Obviously, it has a, a long history with debauchery and excess, and yeah. people or, kind of taking taking or, it to
1: extremes. Or you can think about hedonism botch in Futurama, the giant <laughs> obese one that sits on a reclining couch drinking wine and exactly. having guzzling
0: <laughs> exactly in excess. Yeah, but then I guess it, if you if you look at you know, how drugs can be very beneficial. I mean, there's people kind of microdosing on LSD. Mm -hmm. There's the book that Michael Pollan wrote about how psychedelics can improve our mind. Mm -hmm. It's kind of showing that drugs actually can be beneficial to our mental health if, if used appropriately. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first of all, regarding hedonism
1: or hedonism, I never know which way to pronounce it. I, I know. Always, I, I always, I always thought American yeah. was a hedonism. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I say in my book that I think it needs a rebrand. And I don't think it's fair for hedonism to be a dirty word. Um, and I think that we are still loaded down with, you know, Christian morality yeah. and feeling that there is something inherently naughty about having a good time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just not the case. And I also profoundly disagree with the Buddhist sentiment that life is suffering. Some aspects of being alive do involve suffering, but there's a lot of aspects of being alive that are a gift. Um, And my favorite example of that is music. You know, even if you take away sex and drugs, music is a gift. There's no reason why sound waves should make you feel as good as they do. And if you can't see that that is a gift, then you are blind.
0: No, it's incredible. Well, we actually, to prove a point that you can you know get high without yeah. actually you know drinking or taking any drugs Ooh. we um we did a bit of an experiment oh, cool. uh, we took over the ministry of sound nightclub oh nice a couple of weeks ago and uh, we held a mass spinning rave okay a week-long party on a bike we called it um and it was week just long. a week long yes yeah. so every day yeah it wasn't like an overnight <laughs> thing we had um basically five classes throughout the week each day was a different theme there was r&b hip-hop Drum and bass. Cool. And everyone was invited to just get a get an endorph- endorphin charge ride, and with their instructor, listen to the music, and then be treated to a non-alcoholic beer and a cannabis-infused facial upstairs. Mm-hmm. And everyone came out feeling really pumped and alive, and mm-hmm. and it was just proved the, the fact that you don't really need these extra stimulants to have a good time.
1: It's interesting when people come to exercise to discover that and I mean it's a really really common facet of reformed drug addicts people like uh, every friend I have who used to have a heroin addiction for example they became gym monkeys afterwards because they needed something else to give them that same rush Um, and it is really important to find the things that give you a high without drugs. Um, In fact I actually first discovered the high of a chemical when I was 13 when I played in an orchestra. So I used to play clarinet, and there are scientific studies that show that when you play with other people but not alone, uh, you will experience the release of the hormone oxytocin. Mm -hmm. And I played piano for 10 years, but I also played the clarinet, and when I went to and everyone laughs. I didn't go to band camp. I went to symphony camp because there were string instruments as well. But that was the first time I'd experienced playing music with a hundred other kids, not just the kill the classes you did in school where people didn't really care. Playing it with a hundred other people who passionately loved music, and I remember being thirteen years old, and this was before I'd ever smoked a spliff or had a kiss. Yeah. And I remember the endorphin rush mm. that I got, like the the goosebumps on my skin and the hair standing on the back of my neck. Mm-hmm. The it was, it, yeah. And I have a very strong relationship with music. My dad's a rock promoter, and not everybody, I learned over the years that not everybody's ex- relationship with music is as strong as mine. Mm. When I say to audiences, I'm like, you know, when you hear like one of your favorite tunes and your heart burns like you're in love, and yeah. some people will look at me
0: and they don't get my, it. The, but, I've had that. I think yeah. I'm extra sensitive to it as well. Yeah. And I think that's part of why I had that realization at Barry's Bouquet. It was probably the yeah. music and the endorphins combined. It would be, yeah. In that heady rush. M- that made multi, me... Multi-factorial. Yeah,
1: it's kind of like, it's like that. It's, a, it's like that episode of Seinfeld where Costanza decides he wants to combine the things that give him pleasure. So he starts eating food while having sex. Oh so gosh. he's got like a pastrami sandwich in one hand, and then oh, and then one day far. he takes it too far and he gets a television underneath the sheets. Oh, and then no. his girlfriend's like, "No, <laughs> enough." But um, yeah, it's about. I think that for everybody, it's about finding what gives you personally that rush. Because if you don't have that relationship with music no amount of gigs and your friends saying do you get it?" it is going to change that it's personal to you it's personal but whatever it is that gives you joy like I don't really get a rush out of sugar in fact I don't Mm. really like chocolate I always prefer cheese Uh, but I don't really have a strong relationship with visual art Um, there's like a few painters that I really love like Van Gogh uh, Gaudi's architecture I was just in Barcelona but I can go to the Tate Modern and wander around and I can stare at something that everybody else thinks is amazing Mm. and I feel nothing
0: yeah and like, it's
1: so subjective and it doesn't make me a Philistine I just prefer music whatever and it's the same
0: with with booze as well booze is so heavily equated to hedonism and mm. it's actually like I try and explain you know even Seed Leopard are a great brand for this mm-hmm. you can still have a hedonistic experience on a night out without drinking alcohol necessarily mm-hmm. it's just it's pleasure it's whatever you find pleasure from mm-hmm. and I think that is what we were trying to define with those. it's mm. like putting them all together dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphin yeah. I mean you know they all mean slightly different things mm-hmm. but it's finding that magic mix or feel yeah. good that works for you
1: and it is and it is important to it is very easy to disintegrate into the things that can give you pleasure that are not objectively great for you such as alcohol or fatty food mm. um, food addiction that kind of thing shopping buying stuff you don't need yeah, exactly. if you don't think that capitalism is the problem you're blind yeah, again the fashion well, especially yes the fashion world exactly um, or under eating you know people who have had eating disorders have talked to me about the endorphin rush that they got from the hunger which is mm. weird, weird. Um, so everybody will have their own personal story about when they had to discover ways to get high without drugs and for me that came in 2010 I had liver damage from taking a uh, medication for epilepsy, which I took against my better judgment, but I was persuaded to do so by my neurologist. And I regret it mm. every day. Mm. Every day I regret doing that. Do you still
0: have repercussions from that?
1: I do. Yeah. Uh, so uh, for seven months, I took it and I dwindled down. Uh, I put on about 30 pounds. Uh, by the end of those seven months, I was sleeping like 18 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the seizures that I get are extremely short lived and Pretty, in fact, I had one earlier today having a conversation with somebody, and I don't think they even noticed. Like, mm-hmm. But nothing will happen to me physically on the outside. I used to get them during exams all the time when I was a student or when I got my period, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but they never inhibited my quality of life. I would have a five-minute sort of not feeling very with it, and then it would be over. Mm-hmm. Um, this medication called the Motrogene just eviscerated my health, and it really, really messed up my liver. So to get better, I decided I was going to stop taking it, and it was ridiculous to have done so in the first place. And uh, in answer to your question, do I still have repercussions? Yes, I do. I get terrible nightmares. I have really bad nightmares if I'm not well. If I have a virus, for example, I have nothing but nightmares. You know, I'm just going to have to live with it. Uh, But it's okay. You know, it's not that bad. I mean, it's really not that big a deal. But to get better, I did learn... Magically, your liver is one of the few organs in your body that can regenerate itself. So your kidneys, your lungs are really complicated structures. Your liver is actually pretty basic. It's just a blob of fat that detoxifies, which is fantastic because it's only made of one kind of cell and that's called a hepatocyte. So if you give your liver a break... It will regenerate itself. In fact, your liver, you can donate a whole lobe of your liver and it will grow back. Wow. Um, How long does it take to grow back? I'm not sure. It probably depends on your age and your fitness. Um, So in my case, my liver was so wrecked. I couldn't have one drink without feeling like I was made of concrete the next day. Mm. And I didn't know how I was going to get better. I was so tired. I was so just not myself. Um, So what I did was I went to hot yoga. I don't go to hot yoga anymore because it's not great for your ligaments. And I do miss it, though, because what I did basically was I went to hot yoga every day for 90 minutes, every single day. And I walked an hour to the studio and then I walked an hour home through Clapham Common, which is where I lived at the time. And fortunately, it was summer uh, and I love summer. So I just spent two months basically wringing out my liver like a towel, going into hot yoga and doing lots of twist positions to just squeeze out the crap. And I didn't touch booze or sugar. Or pretty much anything synthetic that I could, like, I tried to eat only, like, blend my food and make, like, clean stuff. Uh, and, you know, the day that I did a headstand in a yoga class, two months after sleeping 18 hours a day mm-hmm. and feeling like I was actually made of living tissue again was the, the joy that you can feel when you've recovered from an illness, like, you know, that feeling that you get when you've had the flu and you're in your sick chamber and you feel like you're just going to be sick forever. And as soon as you get better, you go outside and it's like, oh, my God, I'm alive. Yeah. But during that time, you know, when you are forced to not indulge in, say, you're pregnant and when you're forced to not indulge in your regular little bit of joy. Mm-hmm. You have to find other things that make you happy. Of course you do. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, it's important for everybody to go on that journey and find those things that make yeah. them happy.
0: And have you, from that detoxification process, mm-hmm. have you kind of maintained any of those? Do you still go to hot yoga? Do you still...
1: I unfortunately don't go to hot yoga anymore because uh, unfortunately what it does is it forces your body to rely on the ligaments instead of the muscles. Mm-hmm. Um which is not good. So that's why a traditional yoga class, you do it, you know, in a cold room or in a regular temperature room. Uh, And I actually spoke to osteopaths afterwards. So I basically, I started to get some wonky pains in one of my feet. Mm -hmm. And the osteopaths all said... uh, that the hot yoga was a great idea at first to really detoxify my liver. But unfortunately, what I was doing was making my body rely on the ligaments and not the muscles. So actually, if you go to hot yoga all the time, you will find that you're not really increasing muscle tone. You're, you're increasing flexibility and you're sweating a lot. So you think that you're getting a great workout, but it's not actually that good for your muscle tone. So what I've maintained instead is uh, I still do lots of yoga. Um, I, my gym is my church like it's 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 nice to have because I go to Ironmonger Row Baths in Clarkenwell, which is just over there down the road mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful art deco building the gym uh, the swimming pool is enormous it's got this really high ceiling and gyms that are like sweaty and claustrophobic and dark and there's no windows and they're playing terrible music aren't great but mm-hmm. my gym feels very soothing it's run by the council and it's important to have um, a ritual sometimes like one of my friends referred to going to the cinema as, like, going to church. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel about going to my gym. In it's a big, airy, lovely building. It's not full of fitness monkeys. It's full of old people and children and people in the community. And there's something about it that is... Really soothing for me. Mm.
0: Well, I, I kind of I'm living a split life now between London and Devon. So obviously I, I do my classes here, but when I'm in Devon, I just hike, and mm. the really it's just so beautiful. Like mm. it's a different kind of pleasure I get from it. I'm not getting those crazy kind of almost cortisol inducing highs yeah. anymore. Because I guess being pregnant, you, you kind of don't want to go into that fight or flight mode so yeah. much. You want to be in a relaxing environment. But actually, it's it's kind of I think your your perception of what makes you feel good in a fitness sense ch- does change as well. Because mm-hmm. I I was as a very young person before i loved kind of like high octane very fast very sweaty full-on workouts mm-hmm. but now it's just i don't know if it's an age thing because maybe learning care off my body a bit better mm-hmm. you just realize there's actually quite a lot of stressful energy in your body and if you've had a stressful day mm. at, at work for instance it might not always be the best thing no it's it's not
1: um i'm a big believer in finding the activity that suits you yeah. you know i will never ever enjoy running I hate it. I always hated it as a kid. I was forced to do tons of long distance running. I'm just not built for it. Mm -hmm. Um, However... Uh, my grandfather was a boxer and my dad was a gymnast mm. and I put on muscle tone very easily and I really like complicated things that involve strength mm-hmm. and not everybody's built for that. Different types, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in finding whatever it is that suits you because if you like it, you'll do it more. Yeah. The last thing you want is to feel like the exercise you're doing is a burden and a chore.
0: That's so true. I was one of those annoying people that did like running. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and everyone is like, oh, I just don't get it. And yeah, yeah. for me, it was a mental thing. Like yeah. I, I mean, I would listen to music but I'd get that proper runners high thing that you know that rush and I used to marathon but actually it was the marathons that then uh, would give me injuries and I'd be like what am I doing this for and obviously now like being pregnant is like the last thing you should do for your body like so you've got to yeah. keep your foundations really strong and it I mean it's just the worst thing you can yeah.
1: do. Run- runners can be obnoxious they can yeah. be extremely sanctimonious because yeah. swimmers aren't like that runners yeah. do get really on their high horse and they act like it's the exercise and then they point at the evolutionary history of running which I have researched yeah. it's true yeah. Humans are built to run, but a lot of people don't know how to run properly, and yeah, exactly. especially in the city. And you see people darting about. And I mean, I used to live with a physiotherapist, and she said the number of injuries that she sees from people yeah. who run in
0: cities and don't understand how to do it properly. It's because their posture's all wrong. Like it's, it's intelligent movement. You've got to start with the foundation strong, and then everything mm. else will go. Yeah. But I think what I'm I'm really seeing now in the industry is people are are slowing down. Like there's a huge rise now with like meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're seeing more like there's a there's a cool yoga class called Fly London where you have like a a big screen at the back playing you know cool visuals of like crashing waves and rainforest stuff to just kind of take you to another environment, take you out of London and and also I mean uh, we were going to talk about this before. There's like a rise of CBD that we're seeing as mm-hmm. well. People are acknowledging that. They've been living a crazy fast stressful life mm. and they want to slow down mm-hmm. and they're looking for these alternative ways um but i do think there's not a lot of education about cbd i think it's a bit of a buzzword a bit of a trend mm-hmm. that people are kind of interested in knowing more about but i don't know if they really understand if it's good for you unless they've tried it and it's it's changed their mood mm-hmm. like for me the only time i i really felt a difference was I was doing a panel talk at one of these events and uh, one of the guys on the panel had some in her bag and she just gave us all a drop and we did have the dishes before we were a little bit nervous and then we all sat down and we were like so mellow and And I felt like a kind of proper chemical change in my body like everything just slowed down and and it was great and it was very conducive to creativity Um, but then I had tried it on my own at home in the middle of the day where I'd probably done a bit too much and it just made me very kind of almost zombified like I just was I had no emotion my husband came home from work and was like are you okay <laughs> it's a bit weird but I don't know it's hit or miss I don't I don't think I would rely on it necessarily but maybe have it in my bag like a rescue remedy to give me a little pick me up if I was feeling down but I don't know have you ever used it before for anything
1: uh, yeah I mean certainly I you know I'm a Canadian girl I started stealing my parents weed when i was 14 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because i would actually read an educational pamphlet at school it's quite funny they um were giving out these pamphlets the truth about drugs and they're like okay you know marijuana isn't gonna make you crazy it's not going to say you know give you schizophrenia however it might make you fat because you're gonna get the mungies mm-hmm. you know they're trying to give kids like the low down on drugs And they said you know it might make you really tired and i mm-hmm. said made me tired because yeah. I have always had crippling insomnia. Right. Uh, so, uh, but I only, yeah, so I've had a, a rich history of uh, smoking marijuana and hash when I was younger. I don't really like it anymore because I just. Now it's legalized. <laughs> no, it's not that. It's just that I, I can't smoke weed and stay awake. I just, I've been using it to get to sleep for so long. Yeah. It's like a Pavlovian response where I just yeah. go like. <sighs> uh, but yeah, so I gave the CBD oil a whirl a couple of months ago. Um I to be honest, I didn't find that it did very much, but I think I was doing too little because then I increased the dose and then I did feel properly sleepy. But then in the morning when I woke up I still felt quite tired. It was kind of like if you eat weed, it lasts in your body a lot longer than if you smoke it. So I felt so like if you eat a pot brownie you will wake up and still feel zonked. So but I think it's about people i know who swear by cbd and i know a lot of people who do they say you have to experiment with it a bit to find the dose that's right for you Mm -hmm. and your body and your metabolism and what it is you're trying to get out of it like because if you need enough i mean to get my brain to go to sleep it needs a sledgehammer so if i probably was taking quite a high amount to feel that tired um i mean i can stay awake for days without without effort so yeah it's a bummer so Uh um if in, yeah basically probably the amount I tried to feel sleepy would have been quite heavy which is probably why I felt tired in the morning
0: is that to do with the um, the antibiotics you were on before then the insomnia or do, have you always had it
1: oh no if I, I, even when I was five it, right? I'd be like knocking on my parents door and oh yeah because people say oh maybe you can't sleep because it's the caffeine you drink like now, oh. even when I was five I couldn't sleep
0: and well, um, what does it feel like when you're lying in bed, you just use your mind just racing and... Yeah, it's noise.
1: <laughs> it's just noise. It's like every bad thing I've ever done, random memories. There's a really good joke by Doug Stanhope uh, where he says, have you ever tried this? Have you ever tried to sleep sober? And a few people in the audience giggle. And he's like, it's impossible! And he talks about having been in uh, Arizona or something, and he had a flight the next day. He's like, I was lying in my bed, sober like a good boy, with my head on the pillow. And it's like, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., and it's just like... You know, you're just like every thought in the world is just like a cacophony of just not, not also not always, not even like bad things, just like random memories of stuff that happened when I was 18 and just, just blah, 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 oh, horrible.
0: But so what do you find now apart from the CBD? Do you, do you find anything else helpful? Do you listen to any, med- like do you do meditation or do you like listen to anything before you go to sleep?
1: No, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to adopt a meditation strategy during the day, which is profoundly difficult. Um started really uh, one of the big main things that I do right now is I used to do exercise in the afternoon because mm-hmm. uh, I'm not a morning person and I've never been a morning person and so when I would wake up it just wouldn't feel like something I wanted to do I don't really like doing yoga first thing in the morning because I don't like going upside down mm-hmm. um, but I've read that if you do your exercise first thing in the day as opposed to like if you, you know if you do if you exercise at like 6 pm you can get this boost of energy and then you'll be awake for longer. Whereas if you do your exercise first thing in the morning before you go to work, that that will actually, A, give you energy throughout the day, but B, set your body's rhythm up to get tired at night. And now I'm doing that, which yeah, is... That's the, good. Yeah, and I've actually started to get into the habit of going at, like, 8 in the morning, which is not normal for me. Uh, so it's good. Yeah,
0: see, I've never struggled with insomnia. I've always been one of those people that could sleep anywhere, which is uh, annoying for people like you. Yes, but, um, very. I, when I was living in, well, working my job before, I had crazy hours, and I used to go to this class at 9 o'clock in the evening. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty crazy. I could, I could sleep. I wow. could go home and sleep, but... I just... I don't, that can't be good for you. I mean, I did one of these tests, actually. It's called First Beat. And you um, you rig yourself up to these two probes that you wear for, like, three days. It's a bit like... Um like a a Fitbit but a very kind of in-depth version and it measures your heart rate variability throughout the day and it's Mm -hmm. meant to show you when you're most zen and kind of peaceful and when you're most stressed out in the day Mm -hmm. and there was and they asked me the psychologist that put me on it they were like you've got to be truthful to your living patterns you Mm -hmm. know live a day that you don't typically lead so I I did a class I did it at 4pm actually and then I went out for drinks with friends and then and then, obviously went to sleep afterwards, but having had quite a few drinks. And when we came to measure the results at the end, I mean, it was literally all red from the moment I'd stepped in that class. Well, before, because... I guess from working I had that kind of stress response in my mm-hmm. body but read all the way through the class made me even more stressed then seeing my friends it's kind of semi-stressful even though it's fun it's like it's engaging that stress response and it was mm-hmm. just then I think my stress to rest variability was like zero out of 100 it was awful the wow. combination of all those things that even though gave me a lot of joy and were very stimulating were actually really mm-hmm. damaging my health and then we compared it to another day where I just I don't know I walked my dog in the morning and I had I did a class but like at 11 like much earlier in the day and I don't know, it's just a bit, a bit of work, but a bit more reading, mm-hmm. and that was literally like 100 out of 100 for stress rest. So it just proved that those, you know, those kind of workouts I was doing at that time mm. in the day and the kind of maybe just the amount I was drinking was probably not you know, conducive to to great health. No and, and rest.
1: It's yeah. The, those I've I've also had times where I've gotten really into those kinds of exercise classes, but mm. when you get an injury, you learn that they're not great for you. Mm. Um, For example, a friend of mine is a kidney nurse um, at the London Kidney Hospital. And he said, you know, every year at the London Marathon, they get a bunch of people who come in with something called acute kidney shock. And it's like they have had they have done the same damage to their kidneys from doing a marathon as a heavy drinker might do over 10 years of drinking booze. Um, I mean, even worse, because they are hospitalized. It's horrific. too much of anything can be bad for you. Yeah, like um, you said, it's
0: the dose that makes
1: the poison. It is the dose that makes the poison. Yeah. And anytime anybody asks me what the worst drugs I've ever tried are, number one is sleep deprivation. It is the greatest impact on my happiness and my health is if I've been able to get any sleep. It's really difficult. Um, it so just, you it can poison. go mad
0: after three days. It can, yeah,
1: you feel crazy. And yeah. also I used to run events at music festivals, as you mentioned, and when I had you know, two hours of sleep like six days in a row, It's, you know, you start to hear things. It makes you really strung out. Um, The other terrible drug is cortisol. Uh, Cortisol, as I explained to people, it increases your white blood cell count. It decreases bone density. It's bad for your heart. It's bad for your brain. It's terrible for you. And it's all about doing the forms of exercise People who do running, for example, it drains the cortisol out of your system. Uh, for me, I do yoga for general like strength and conditioning, but um, I really enjoy being on a cycle at the mm-hmm. gym and reading the news and yeah. and getting an endorphin hit that way and draining the cortisol out. Or and also swimming with. Um, I would say the most, the best drug that I have bought recently is my WaterFi iPod, which is an aquatic set of headphones. Mm-hmm. Because I need my music. If I am swimming yeah. to just pure silence, I just, I'm just bored. Uh, but if I've got music, I can mm. go for much longer.
0: Cool. Yeah. So if you were to describe your perfect dose, what would that be in like a typical, I guess, typical day in the life of you? Oh, my God. A perfect dose? Like do- like your dopamine, your oxytocin, your serotonin endorphin, if it's... It would start with having had a proper
1: goddamn night's sleep, mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. would, when w- waking up and actually having energy yeah. uh, and not feeling really tired. Um, and my morning coffee, I, my favorite drug is caffeine. Yeah. I really like alcohol. I really like scotch. I really like a red wine. But caffeine is my favorite How drug. How many
0: would you have in the day? A lot. Yeah.
1: Um, and I the hooks that caffeine have as an addictive p- substance, oh, my God, they have strong hooks. Really? Um,
0: you say it's more addictive than like I don't
1: know, LSD or.
0: Oh God, yes. Oh have. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. The withdrawal that you get from caffeine is really profound. Uh, in fact, I learned in university that apparently this is due to having a nitrogen atom with a spare valence pair of electrons, which it shares in common with uh, heroin. Apparently, mm-hmm. so it has the it has these strong hooks that get into your cells. Whereas, so for example, if you want to detox off of alcohol, after three days you're pretty much in the clear. Mm-hmm. Caffeine. I mean, I once tried to go cold turkey. Off of caffeine and the headache that oh, I had. That's horrible. It's like a sledgehammer. Oh, it is like it, mm. nothing made it better. Water didn't make it better. No, Paracetamol didn't make it better. It I, I know. I just I just gave up and went back to tea. <laughs> and coffee it was it wasn't worth it. Uh, so my perfect perfect day would involve uh, coffee to start with. And I would. would you probably, say that's
0: a dopamine revving one? Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, that would be my dopamine rubbing one. And then I would do some like if I had the time, uh, I do something that a lot of people find really weird. Um, I listen to stand-up comedy when I'm doing yoga. Okay, cool. So lots of people go. Oh, well, then you're not really doing yoga. Like, <laughs> shut up. There are beer yoga classes. Oh, there's weed goat yo- yoga. There's, there's, we- there's weed yoga. There's laughter yoga. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been to gym. I've been to yoga classes, especially in California, where they're playing music the whole time. So there's, uh, why- there's
0: heavy metal yoga. There's heavy metal yoga. There's all <laughs>
1: kinds of yoga. I really am bored of sanctimonious hippies who demand that there's only one way to do something. I like to listen to stand up yo- stand up comedy when I'm doing yoga. For one, it's you don't need to look at the screen. So I wouldn't, for example, I'm really into like my political comedy, like Samantha Bee and John Oliver, but they've got such great graphics, right? <laughs> I listen to a lot of stand-up comedy, Uh, one, because I think it's one of humanity's art forms, and number two, because I do a lot of public speaking, and I learn from their style. Um, So I listen to stand-up comics when I'm doing yoga. It makes me laugh, and if I'm enjoying myself, I can do it for longer. Um, So, you know, I'm I'm a born multitasker, and then if I'm going to go to the gym, I will get on the cycle, and I'll read the news while I'm doing it. Uh, So, yeah, so we'll start with some coffee, then I'll have, say... um, Yesterday, I listened to Catherine Ryan's Netflix special while I did some yoga. She is the only comic from Canada or Britain to have her own Netflix special. Home. She's from Sarnia, Ontario, which is an absolute hellhole. I'm so proud of her. <laughs> she I think made she's, it out. <laughs> I think she's brilliant. Uh, so listen to that. And then uh, food would be a great thing. I have always had a really good relationship with food. I've never had an eating disorder. I don't have a sweet tooth. Uh, it's not something I've ever had an issue with, so I'd probably have. Lately, I've been having lots of scrambled eggs with salmon. Know, nice.
0: Not, not okay, there's amigas.
1: Yeah. Uh, what else would my day involve? You know what? This uh, an interesting one is the very first song I listen to mm. every day. I get a really strong dopamine rush. Really? I really do. It's um, but, and especially like in particular, like I get I get rushes of happy hormones all day from music, but the first song of I of the day. It's like my first cup of coffee. Like, when you have your first sip of coffee, you get this sort of, like, tingling in your neck, and it's this, like, ah. Oh,
0: or I is guess. that just us? I don't, I don't know. It's definitely me. But <laughs> when I
1: listen to my first song of the day, I get goosebumps. It's like my body. It could be any song. Probably, actually. I mean, I would listen to one that I like on my yeah, phone. Yeah. But it, I will get an actual, like, shiver of goosebumps and shivers mm. down my spine, and it's like... It, it. Or it's kind of like when you have that um, first slug of really good wine mm. at a meal, and you're like, ah... Oh, Is that that first one. Or it's like when people talk about uh, cigarette smokers talk about their first cigarette of the
0: day. Yeah. And they
1: talk about that feeling.
0: Mm -hmm. I get that from music. Okay. Totally. And so is music a good way to induce oxytocin, would you say? Is that... Uh, It's like uh, the lovey
1: one, isn't it? Well, in fact, this is fun. So they have found that when you make music with other people, but not alone, Mm -hmm. it raises the oxytocin in your body. Mm -hmm. So blood levels, uh, blood results have shown that in people who sing in choirs that they get a big release of oxytocin when they sing with other people because it is a group activity. Um, So it's like our social bonding. mm, Yeah, yeah. Music is social bonding via sound, is how one anthropologist put it. Uh, And it's amazing that they get those rushes of chemicals when they play with other people, but not alone.
0: It's crazy. It is crazy. It's also associated with um, with mothers bonding Mm -hmm. with their loved ones. Yes, and breastfeeding. Babies breastfeeding. And also, apparently, dogs produce it for their owners.
1: Uh, if you pet your dog, you will get that feeling. But do um, they
0: get it, too? I read some... I watched prob- some documentary. They probably do.
1: I mean, they love us. Yeah, they cats They, they dream us. of us,
0: apparently. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah. In this <laughs> documentary for, Yeah, for the love of dogs or something. <laughs> something. But, yeah, it's crazy. Interesting. I love yeah. dogs. I do not like cats. And they did this study, like, if you... I used to be scared of staring into my dog's eyes. (laughs) What kind of dog have you got? Well, Labrador. But I was told that that would um, make them angry. But actually, (laughs) it's only wolves that that happens Uh. to. If you stare into their eyes, it produces oxytocin for both parties. I believe it. Apparently. And what about your endorphin rushes? What do you get that from? That would be from cycling. From cycling. And if
1: if I'm going to be naughty, I I will confess this happened once by accident. Don't try this at home, kids. This is not Sarah Cormier endorsed, but I have to tell the truth. Uh, one time I had a Bloody Mary in the morning because I had a hangover, and then I went to the gym. And the endorphin rush that I got, holy mother of God. Mm. Oh, my God. That was so much stronger than just going to the gym without anything. Because mm. I, I like, I looked it up online. I was like, is this dangerous? I was like, oh, ah, it's just one drink. Uh, and then I... It, I've read an article in uh, Mondial magazine. So Mondial is a really expensive gym, uh, sorry bike equipment company. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a really uh, swish magazine, and there was an article in there about how the Tour de France used to be it used to be de rigueur. It used to be completely normal for the endurance cyclists to like stop off at pubs and have like a bottle of champagne. And some brandy every once in a while because it would actually increase their endorphin rushes. Yeah. Now I'm this is not something that no, would happen in a- my ideal day, but when it happens once in a while, it's it's, it's mental You'll if you have a Bloody Mary in the morning and go to the gym an hour later the endorphin rush that you get is mental
0: I think what millennials are doing now is doing it the other way around they go for a spin class and then they go for their brunch right that's a little thing but there is a there's a marathon that happened. I think it's just been actually in September it's the Bacchus marathon <laughs> where you, you run around it's in Surrey and huh. you stop off at every mile and have a glass of wine ah
1: yeah so that's Apparently. Well, because it actually, the it was normal for cyclists to do this in the 70s, not just because they were French, but also because it would give them this big endorphin rush. And it yeah. would actually, and it's also just, remember, it's full of sugar, right? Yeah, so it would so increase their so. energy levels and, <laughs> and also increase
0: their resistance to feel the pain. Yeah. No, got, I remember doing, I did the Paris Marathon. I just remember everybody was oh just like God. puffing cigarettes and chugging wine. Ah! <laughs> like, That's like, awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's funny. I, it's I was always a big believer in this this health and hedonism, just because I could see the worlds colliding. Really, it's our mm. it's our lifestyle and it's our our gym lifestyle kind of colliding together. Mm. And before before we like learned how to kind of get high without having extra stimulants, I guess I, I would be that person. I'd go and do a work and then go out. And mm. actually, I've had some pretty scary experiences. I I went to like a, a class in the morning and then I went to you know bunga bunga and they do huh. those, those what, what great like, what like brother scotty. Yeah, they do these crazy like all day brunch things where mm. you just get bottomless booze and it was for a friend's birthday and oh, dear. oh I don't even remember making it out of there. <laughs> but it just just the the combination of the two was pretty pretty punchy.
1: Yeah, it ca- yeah, it's the combination of the two you sort of But yeah, one bloody mary is one bad. yeah, one yeah, it's not too bad, but you can um you can sort of exhaust your body with this you know infusion of of uh, chemically goodness um but i i do really firmly believe that hedonism shouldn't be seen as a dirty word and i mean it's also you know people you also need to enjoy your exercise classes because yeah. for so much of it it's about it's achievement based mm-hmm. like you know you could talk about sex in that way you know a lot of sex is ruined for people when with pressure mm-hmm. um the woman Beverly Whipple who wrote the book the G spot she's responsible for identifying that and she actually mapped 16 different erogenous zones in the body that people always focus on that one she got a letter once from a couple that said why did you have to ruin our fun because they were having a perfectly nice time having sex the way i always had it and then they read that other women could have orgasms through this other mechanism that she wasn't experiencing and then she felt inadequate mm. and didn't want to have sex anymore well, um, and it's extreme te- it, is, it well, well i mean not not just didn't want to have sex but there is the amount of psychological pressure that people put on themselves yeah. when they hear about what other people do and how other people enjoy it Oh, true, it's yeah. rubbish
0: Yeah, it's awful it's like this FOMO stuff with Instagram isn't it like people oh, living their best lives yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. really not the truth no it's just no it's of- just photoshop
1: of course it is Yeah. No. Uh, social media definitely I remember my cousin uh, her parents made her delete her Facebook account when she was like 14 or something and I said well that's a bit harsh and they said no Zoe you don't understand you and your friends you use it to have fun and talk to each other yeah. teenagers use it as a bullying mechanism and it's not healthy
0: no and even, its I mean, it's scary, the like button. I mean, even the mm-hmm. guy that invented it, didn't he say he kind of like regretted that? <laughs> no, yes, he did. He wouldn't let his kids go on it Yeah, on Facebook. But yeah, it's scary. And also, the way they've designed phones, you know, there's like little ellipsis marks when people, you know, when you're waiting for a message, like that gets your dopamine firing like nothing else, mm-hmm. doesn't it? The anticipation of, mm-hmm. and you know, it's FOMO, I think, most most of it. It's that fear of missing out. Yes. On good times. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, so obviously we, we met um, quite a few years ago when you were working at festivals. What have you been working on recently? Uh, so since my book came out, I've done continued
1: to do a lot of writing about uh, sex, music, and drugs. Um, so most recently, uh, let me see, what are some recent? Well, actually, I've got a feature that is coming out today in Medium's subscriber-only strand about DMT. And my argument is that it is the LSD for our generation. Uh, So um, that's a big one. Uh, I wrote a feature for Rolling Stone a year ago. That was a big uh, feather in my cap. Uh, That was about an app being developed by a scientist named Mendel Kalin that is to facilitate psychedelic therapy with or, or music therapy with or without psychedelics. So there are options to do it with psychedelics, obviously, but they're not legal, so you don't want to explicitly say. Mm. But the idea being to customize the musical experience for you. So at the moment, uh, music therapists who work in psychotherapy, they'll have you know classical music or so forth. This is a tool that he's working with Brian Eno to develop mm. to create generative music. So music that is sort of produced on its own in an... Continually evolving pattern, but it's going to be based on your own personal music choices and your tastes and your preferences. That's pretty really clever. Very clever. Yeah. I think it's going to. I think it's a truly deeply beautiful creation. And to get an experience for what this felt like, I uh, took acid and I listened to a music playlist that he had created for psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy for depression. And I did it by the books, which is blindfolded and lying down. And I thought I was going to be bored out of my mind. But I had the most cathartic, beautiful release of grief that I've ever had in my life. And I ended up writing that up for Rolling Stone last year. And that was a real, really thrilling experience. Um, I really do believe that this app and its ability to heal people will change people's lives. Um, I've been writing about psychedelic therapy for... Trauma, PTSD, depression, anxiety, all kinds of things since 2012, and this was the very first time I would had any kind of experience that was like a psychedelic therapy session for myself, and it really did change something in me forever. It really That's did. Amazing,
0: yeah. And so you've had a, a personal experience with grief yourself, and is that led you to this, or I was more childhood trauma, childhood stuff, yeah, childhood yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff.
1: Um, so there's that. Um, I am got lots of spinning plates. Um, I, one of my favorite features that I wrote was uh, in 2016 about musical instruments for people with physical disabilities. So this was for the Guardian's G2 section, and um, there's a variety of different instruments being created by a whole bunch of uh, technologists, uh, one of whom is my friend Vahakan Matosian and his father Rolf, and they were creating what they were working on in specifically was a headset for a trumpet player who had been paralyzed from the neck down. So the, uh, the headset called Headspace has, an, um, it interfaces just with a, with a laptop. And then by moving a cursor on the screen and blowing into a pipe, you can create different notes. Um, so I looked at that. I looked at these uh, things called Mimu gloves, that Imogen heap.
0: Has? Right. I don't know.
1: So, Imogen Heap has these crazy gloves that are uh, the the fabric is enmeshed with sensors and wires. And so, depending on how she moves her hands, she can make different notes. Um, And then, a guitar player named Chris Halpin, who has cerebral palsy, um, found that his basically the strength in his hands was decreasing mm-hmm. so he had to start taking certain chord progressions out of his music and that was profoundly sad for him. And then when he saw these these cool set of gloves that Imogen had made, mm-hmm. um, he thought, well that's a perfect instrument for somebody with a disability issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it meant that he could now create a huge range of sounds that he couldn't before. Uh, I spoke to another young man who put an effects pedal onto the actual mount of his guitar uh, because he couldn't use his feet for a while because he was in a wheelchair. So instead he just modified a guitar to have the effects pedal on top. And so, yeah, I mean, as I always say, of the three things, sex, drugs, and music, music is the one thing I cannot go a day without. I can go dry off of booze or drugs for a while. I have gone ages without having sex. I didn't have sex for a year when I wrote my book. Um, Yeah, sitting in bed by yourself reading books every night until 2 in the morning (laughs) is really not as much It's not as raucous as you think. But The one thing I can't go a day without is music. As I always say, music has never broken my heart or killed any of my friends. Um, And this piece about the different instruments being made for people To give access to everybody to be able to make music, you know, I worked for ages on that piece and I was tremendously proud of it. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing.
0: Zoe, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. My pleasure. If you have any questions about any of the content discussed in today's podcast, please drop us a line at hello at whateveryourdose.com. You can also refer to the links in the show notes below. Want to know more about dose? Visit www.whateveryourdose.com and sign up to receive our weekly newsletters for feel-good content and events across fitness, food and drink to get your happy hormones firing.